0: Welcome to the podcast channel of the East Bay Unity Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. The opinions expressed here are those of individual members and do not represent OA as a whole. For more information about our intergroup, please visit our website at eastbayoa.org. So hi everybody, I'm Joe, a compulsive eater. Glad to be with you all. I love the Saturday Berkeley people in the meeting, and I'm just glad to have the chance to be of service. It's always, I have to say, a little stressful to speak on a step rather than just tell my story, but I'm going to do my best. I kind of was looking at it, um, you know, sort of thinking about it ahead of time and making a couple of notes. And I think, um, for one thing, the step 10 is about perseverance. Um, That's the principle that that holds it and um it's about our it's about sort of like noticing our liabilities and our assets and everything together and so a bit about my own story um i share this a lot i mean i but i don't feel like i've done it lately and it is that i was born rattled that's that's the the first thing that comes to my mind i was born with a lot of sensitivity and a lot of feelings and my mom with somebody who, she was, I guess she was 19 when she was pregnant with me, and she already had a baby that was, you know, my brother and I are only 11 months apart, and so I'm the person who was coming in, like, right straight after, you know, my brother, and I I don't even know why, but I knew I was not a wanted kid. And I felt it immediately. And my feeling, my, and so it's like that being born rattled kind of feeling. It's just like, um, I think it's overwhelming to have that much like sensitivity or to be really sensitive to the environment that, that I was in. And, mm-hmm. and then, um, you know, I have three other brothers that followed me. So there are five of us. My mom was a Catholic person trying to do what, you know, her religion wanted her to do, which was not to use any birth control or anything. And I really don't think she was really into having all of us, you know? I mean, she loved us eventually. <laughs> I don't mean to say it that way. I mean, I think she loved us always, but I mean like a lot of times it didn't feel like love. It really felt hard. And, um, you know, and also that feeling of being being so sensitive, like, it wasn't unusual for me as a little kid to to ask a question and for my mom to look at me like, "Who told you that? No, who? Why do? What What are you talking about?" And then I just feel like, "Oh my God!" You know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how I knew this or whatever. So it was just kind of like this feeling of walking through my life like with, you know, kind of a, just, everything kind of not good, not clear, or clean or whatever. I was also really um sexually too active as a kid um, which kind of tells me and i one of the things that i've gotten really clear over these years in program is that a lot of us who who get mortally obese we've probably been molested or some other thing and i don't even have memories of it but i'm pretty sure that there was something like that so my highest weight that i know of was 300 and I, um, in the eighties, I went on like the diet to end all diets. And, um, you know, my auntie worked for this weight loss company. And so I was like, give me the diet, you know, hand it over, I'll do it. And so like, I went on that by myself and lost like 160 pounds without doing any of their stuff. And then somebody suggested I might want to work for them. So it was like in order to work for them, I needed to lose 10 pounds on their watch, you know? So I trying to lose that 10 additional pounds to make it to the goal weight that I would have to get to for that. It was really an unsustainable weight. So I got thinner than I'd ever been that I could remember. And I just really felt like a raw nerve. Like I don't, I kind of felt like how do people walk through the world like this? I don't get it. So, um, I think that there was a lot around that, you know, like being like 300 pounds and not being able to fit in the world, but being protected. Like I couldn't fit in restaurant booths. I recently shared this. I I broke a metal stadium seat. Now, seriously, how could that happen? I don't know, but I did. And the guy who was with me was one of my roommates and he, he offered to change seats because he heard it and he offered to change seats with me. So, I mean, I've had those very embarrassing things of not being able to fit in a restaurant booth or, or, you know, the plane seat when I sit down and people don't want to sit by me because I'm taking up too much room or whatever, all those kinds of feelings and stuff. But there's a safety about it. And um, so I think that that sense of being like protected within it and food soothed, it took the edge off of everything. And um, it really gave me a protection that I didn't have otherwise. And so I remember remember talking to my sponsor about it later and she said, well, it makes sense that food would be your drug because if your stomach is always upset or worried or rattled or whatever that is that makes sense that you would go to food. So, um, you know, so I was always wrestling with weight as a kid and, um, I was the biggest person, you know, in my family. And my mom was always putting me on these diets and, you know, I, I share this a lot too. This is just something kind of, um, interesting is that I spent my entire childhood trying to get my dad's eyes on me and my mom's eyes off me all unsuccessfully my mom was always watching what I was eating. What are you, what have you got? What are you eating? What, you don't need that. Put that down, put that away. And so it was just always like this constant wrestling with her, but she was compulsive with food too. So I feel like now I know better that a lot of the, what, what was happening was her own, you know, feelings about how much she was eating. And so then kind of like, we're doing this together. So she projected upon me. And so we both started that. You know, the weight loss thing that most people do where they have the meetings like in 1967, we started it together. And um I probably lost like 20 pounds or something, which at that time was probably my weight, would I maybe even smaller than I am now because I remember I fit in my brother's jeans and that was like amazing to me that I could put on his jeans. Like, but um, so we started the diet thing together and you know we were eating all the horrible things that they made us eat back then they've changed a lot but we used to eat things like pudding made out of gelatin and red pop and shit it was horrible mixed with powdered milk or whatever it was horrible so anyway just you know like having that constant sense of um being wrong somehow, like how what I ate was wrong, how I behaved was wrong. I was kind of too sexual in ways that were not really good for me. Um, and, you know, that sense of being able to like have food to comfort it was really a big part of my childhood. And um, one of the things that we, because of our religion, we used to have to go to, well, like a confession on Saturdays. And I remember like going in there to talk to the priest and, and like making shit up because I mean, it, there wasn't really anything on my mind, you know? Um, so like, but it didn't fix anything. I remember like, I would just still feel like I could, I would never tell him anything that was real for me. Like, you know, what I felt ashamed of or whatever, I would just make up these lists of things. And so it didn't fix my insides at all. And I was just walking through the world really just feeling horrible all the time and acting out of that. And one of the things, and like back, I, I don't, I was, when I was 19, I met my husband and we um, and fell for this guy that was addicted to heroin. Um, had no real prospects or whatever. And the two of us decided to get married, right? And, and bring this little girl into the world who now turned 50 and is amazing. And I can't even tell you how amazed I am at that because her start was so rocky. But, you know, one of the things that happened during that time was that I just, we lived in a place where it wasn't quite as safe as I would have liked. Um, It was like in a neighborhood in Detroit where It wasn't unusual to see police surrounding a building and telling people to come out and including my own husband. Um, And it just didn't feel safe. And so the fact that I, and we didn't have food money. We didn't have like, you know, like most of the money we had, was going into his arm. So the idea of having, um, getting more food was constant. And I didn't even realize how much my drug, my, addiction was affecting you know what our life was as much as his his heroin addiction I thought that was everything but I mean really he was using all the money and so our money our food was just bad food like pancakes and peanut butter and jelly in the same jar and bread and butter and I was just constant I couldn't stop eating but it was all bad you know so when I get to be 300 pounds, I'm like, I don't fit in the world. We're not together anymore. I don't know what to do, really. I have no, no sense of what to do. And you know, like, I just didn't fit anywhere. I, it's it's hard to imagine that, really, how that was, or what it would take to get my body to be there again. I do, I wonder about that. But one of the things that happened around that same time was a friend of my mom's, her best friend, who was somebody who saw me. And it was just like such a helpful thing to have somebody look at me and see me and call me forward in some fashion, in some way. And I remember just, I was feeling so horrible about myself. And my sponsor has been my best friend since um, the 70s. So she was with me at this time. And I was telling my mom's friend, how I felt like there's a story called the Thornbirds, And if you're not familiar with it, it doesn't matter. But there's like a girl in there where she's kind of like the bad girl. Her name is Justine and she's the bad girl. And she has this little brother who is named Dane and he's really holy and he wants to be a priest and he's really this holy little boy. And I remember saying to her, to Bets, this woman, I said, I'm Justine, I'm just bad, I'm just bad to the, you know, I can't, I don't even know what to do. And she said, she looked at me like, and she said, oh, Joe, you're Dane, like you're the holy kid. And I was just like, what? Because I had walked through my entire life feeling horrible, bad, guilty, no anything. And I have to tell you, that was like the first time somebody actually saw the essence of who I am, and this is where step ten now, you know so I think that that's like what it was like. what happened that moment with her that happened was like uh, something going off in a way that nothing ever had before that and then and so like in part of my life at that time was to be in this kind of kind of fundamental Christian. Um, group of people and so there was something about it that you couldn't I couldn't afford to really look at my my pluses and my minuses I could only feel terrible and I but I had to pre like I had to be a good Christian in in this way and so it was like all the things that were weighing on me the sexual things the the not feeling okay not feeling good all of those things that were weighing on me I couldn't look at them. I couldn't do anything about them. I had to just pretend. And so what happened and what it's like now is that daily 10 step. I can't even tell you how, what a gift it is to have something like this um, where we do a step four and a step five. And so when I did the step four and five, finally somebody like, listened and let all these things start coming off you know start falling away and and when it talks about in step 10 it says that it removes the stumbling blocks that that's the purpose of it to our living and it allows us to recognize our emotions and walk through them and i have to say that my emotions were always way too much for me and um just being able to like, take time to sit down with other people, and now to do it on a daily basis. And the thing that's really lovely about step 10, is that it's about our assets, too, you know, we get to look at both parts of ourselves, like the parts of ourselves that are weighing us down. And then the parts of ourselves that we're not maybe even recognizing that are actually holy, like her saying that to me, like you're Jane, like you're, you're a light, you know, you're something else in the world. You're not that. You're not that bad girl. And so she had me rise up to something that I don't think I could have done. And um, the step 10 that I do now, it really, I have like two different ones. And one of them is thanks to one of our members that used to send me a daily email one that had like all these questions on it. And I wanna share you some of the questions because it's like a two-sided paper. I do one side and then the other side. So the first side talks about gratitude, courage and commitment and acceptance and forgiveness. And then the back side is, um, did I do my best to be happy today? How meaningful was my day? Did I do my best to receive love? How much did I give? And it's just like kind of lovely. So it's like on the plus side of things, how did I nourish myself, turn problems into opportunities, share up, do my footwork? What were moments of satisfaction, contentment, serenity, fun? How was I kind, helpful, mindful? And then on the bottom part is, did I betray myself, not listen, not honor? Did I abandon myself? Did I self-sabotage or punish? Did I feed an inner critic? These are really good questions. I have to tell you, I don't look at them every day anymore. I used to, but I mean, like I start in the morning and so here's one that I started that's got some writing on it. And then, you know, I haven't done any of the other parts and I'll do it when we, I get off the phone, I'll add to it. But then I also have the AEIOU one, which is a one pager. It's faster when I don't have the time, but I have to tell you being able to, do this every day. Most days when I sit down, I have three minutes left. I want to read something at the end. Um, Most days when I sit down to do this, I think, Oh, I don't have anything to say. I you know, I really don't know. But the truth is, is that once I sit down with a pen, what it says in our, in our tool of writing is really true. Like I sit down, the pens in my hand, something just starts to happen. It starts to flow out. I can really think about what did I do on my own behalf today? What did I do for other people today? How was I of service, you know? And sometimes I, a lot of times the things that are negative, I have to say, they can slip from my mind like that fast and I'll be like, what was that? I wanted to write about that, but I forgot all about it. Now I actually have to go like jot it down maybe on a little post-it note or whatever to one word at least just to remind me this was not good today you said those words to somebody that were not really what you wanted to say or you were judgmental or you were acting superior it's funny how fast that can leave me but I have to tell you those things are far less um, frequent than they used to be and the part about the service and the part about what I'm grateful for that has grown. It's, you know, it's exponentially larger than it ever has been. And truly my life is a life with so many miracles in it. Um, And I have to say that, you know, being able to like stop that, the train, you know, around like feeling horrible about myself and not being able to tell myself the truth, because, you know, then it meant something about who I was as a person all of that has been just really great to um to be able to weigh it and and be in balance about it. And I think this is part of what recovery gives us. It's a chance to really get in balance and to um you know to like appreciate the things that are around us. And I know like as I walk through my life with the people that I work with and everything. I'm not, you know, I'm 70. So I don't have any need to be anybody's anything. I don't need to get a new job or to climb the corporate ladder. I'm in education, so we don't have that. But I don't have to, you know, I don't have to do anything but go and be the light. And, and today I'm like, oh, Joe, you're Dean. I'm just going to go be the light where I am. You know, I'm going to go into my workplace on Zoom and I'm going to, like, you know, I'm going to be myself. And that's another gift that program gives us. We get to be ourselves. I don't even, like, I used to feel ashamed of half the shit I said. Now I'm just like, get over it. This is, this is it. This is who I am. But it's all, you know, it's just me. And then somebody will send me something in the chat going, you shut up. You, you're crazy. Okay, so I'm going to read this one reading to end us it's December 10th in Voices. As we repeatedly act on step 10, we begin to see the remarkable way the steps will, from now on, continue to remove unnecessary turmoil and pain from our lives. Amen. More gifts are in store for us as we continue working the program and experiencing the miracle of permanent recovery one day at a time. And that's from the OA 12 and 12 pages, 80, 90, 90, probably the old version. Ours is a disease of attitudes, however the, however, the years I've spent in OA have shown me that although my disease is progressive, so is my recovery. That's my time. When I was active in my eating disorder, I hated everything about my life. My world consisted of binges, blame, fear, shame, jealousy, and rage. I was imprisoned by unrealistic expectations of people bitterly resenting their imperfections. I also hated myself because I couldn't stop eating. Negativity breeds hopelessness, and I was trapped. Recovery teaches me that my gratitude and serenity snowballed, just like my negative attitudes did. And that If I didn't say anything else that you could hear, hear that. As I work the 12 steps of this program, it becomes fulfilling to focus on the good in my life. It doesn't always come easily. Sometimes I struggle to think positively, but when my attitudes slip, I know there's hope. Now my world consists of daily miracles, both large and small, I would so say that, that keep the light in my eyes and the lightness in my heart. Positive thinking breeds acceptance, and today I am free. And may you be too. Thanks for letting me share.